Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roof Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires. Here with my co-host, Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for rice sports news and analysis. All right, uh, another short intro for us this week, as we're ready to pop on with a frequent guest at this point, uh, Jared Kalmus of the Alamodome Audible to talk UTSA. Uh, always fun to have Jared on, but uh, we'll uh, get the, the quick stuff out of the way and then uh, get right to it. Yeah, quick stuff. Uh, quick, uh, quick promo for you guys. As I've talked about, the Conference USA preview uh, is already out, and you should go pick that up. Uh, eight bucks, you can get a five pages on every Conference USA team. We got all sorts of stuff in there. It's really great. But I also did want to mention: uh, if you go to attheroost.com/slash/preview, that's where we're keeping all of our regular just rice football preview stuff that's going to be just for subscribers so if you're on patreon this is for you if you're not on patreon subscribe get the rice stuff and the conference usa stuff uh we got the tight end preview corner preview wide receiver previews up right there just going position by position and uh it's really interesting getting through kind of i guess kind of working through the changes from the spring of who i thought was going to be starting and then kind of changes with the roster we just went through and did a actually a roster update and went through all of the players that have were on the roster in 2021 and are on the roster right now in July. So it's interesting. There's lots of things going on. We got a lot of commentary there, and uh, you should go check it out. And then, and aside, I did a, a microcast for our, our booster subscribers, uh, Carter, uh, yesterday, today, whatever day it was. And uh, you introduced me in all of the podcasts. So I was introducing myself, which I don't do very often. And I was like, managing editor, director, managing director, editor, wh- who am I? And I had just a crisis of conscience, conscience for a second there. So I'm going to leave that to you, the pros. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's become essentially like I, I hardly even hear myself saying the words now at this point. I've said them so many times to the point where I will pop you up behind the curtain. Uh, not this week, but uh, I think maybe last week or two weeks ago when we were recording the uh we usually record the interview first not to uh you know spoil the illusion for you but we uh hit the record button and i immediately launched into the show intro and i was like nope wait nope mm, that's nope that goes in the other one so uh we're a well-oiled machine here at the roost podcast it's july we got time yeah we're this is this is off-season workouts at this point we're not in the you know we're not even in a camp yet yeah, by October we'll be, well, we'll be about the same, but you know, we'll try. All right, and we are here now with a friend of the pod, and I, I think like frequent guest at this point, Jared Kalmas. How you doing, bud? Hey, pretty good. Yeah, I guess frequent works. I was gonna think you would call me the uh, third co-host but i guess i need a few more appearances before i get that honor i'll work on it i'll work on it <laughs> yeah we'll get down the gaps here but yeah yeah i was gonna say i think harry's got me beat by a hefty margin so i'll, I'll take fourth <laughs> place behind him hey i'll i'll take it we, we go back to what works and what we like and uh, you fortunately are coming coming with us to the yeah, aac yeah. so we're not gonna have to make yeah I was gonna this make has been the keep it in the neighborhood well, i love been... it it's been the unfortunate, you know, happenstance of going through these season previews and talking with folks that, you know, Louisiana Tech and uh-huh. you know, Western Kentucky, you go Charlotte, just like, oh, well, I guess you know Charlotte's coming. But all these, you know, like, F- FIU, going to have to make some new friends. Yeah, I was never one I... making too many friends. 
I much prefer the episode when we're with someone where we don't have to pretend to be sympathetic about them staying in the AAC. <laughs> oh, but man. But USA, like, so long, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, I think yeah, this is the are... second or third straight show that we've let off like this, though. <laughs> there are some Conference USA schools that I feel sympathetic for. Western Kentucky primarily, but others, mm, sometimes. Southernness. You got to take a good look in the mirror, man. All right. Well, since this is a uh, a UTSA-focused podcast, we do want to talk a, li- a little bit about UTSA. And while we're on it, let's talk about the AAC. Um, take me back in time, I guess, what, a, a year? A year and a half? At, at this point, I'm losing track of time. Mm-hmm. When you saw that UTSA was in the announced group of six that was moving on, uh, what was your kind of general reactions on that? Because I, I feel like... I know UAB was kind of a front runner at the time, and there was mm-hmm. a couple other schools mentioned, but UTSA, well, I don't think was at the top of the list, so to speak, when that mm-hmm. when they weren't sure how many they were taking. Yeah, the way that I understood it was UTSA was kind of in the second round of candidates. So you had your UAB, your Colorado State, your I think Air Force it was were, were kind of the three teams that were pushing really hard for. It seemed like UAB was pretty much a lock based off anyone you talked to. And then you got down into, like, kind of the UTSA, FAU, kind of, like, shoulder shrug, like, that would be the best available kind of deal. So, you know, I felt like UTSA had a pretty good shot of getting in, because I was always pretty skeptical that they would be able to poach into those Mountain West teams. Uh, for a couple of reasons, you know, that was a point in time where we still thought geography mattered a little bit in uh, a conference alignment. <laughs> Obviously, it was very naive and foolish of us, <laughs> but, you know, I, I like UTSA. We, did, we didn't know just how little it mattered. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it wasn't like a total, total shock because the UTSA get the nod once it looked like the Mountain West schools weren't going to come. Uh, but what, re- what really surprised me was like the full expansion with with, uh, with six teams. I, I really thought they were going to be a little bit more, I guess, moderate in how many teams they would bring in. I mean, I definitely see the logic of expanding it and giving yourself some future proofing, especially as we look at another round of conference alignment possibly on the docket. You know, maybe next offseason or, or maybe sooner. Um, but, you know, I think from the UTS for UTSA perspective, uh, it's it's nothing but good news, really. Uh, you know, I think that those schools that UTSA had the most in common with are the ones that are coming with them to the AAC. Uh, you know, Rice being a, uh, an urban, you know, Texas Institute, obviously, is part of that as well. And, uh, you know, the, the additional revenue is, is huge. And, and being amongst peer institutions that want to succeed, right? That want to spend the money and not just tweet about how they deserve to be good, but actually, you know, put, put some money on the line for it. I think it's be a really good thing. And yeah, I, I really like this uh, combination of schools. I, I think there's like, you know, a lot of commonalities across the whole conference. Uh, you know, so you know, I think it's, it's a pretty big win for UTSA fans. I think the community is pretty fired up about it. And uh, just maybe a little bit nervous about the basketball program, but I know we're here to talk football. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And how does it how does it kind of set up this season? Because something I've noticed that's interesting, especially with the schools moving to the AC, there's almost kind of a you know everybody in Conference USA. It's been kind of neck and neck for the most part of the past couple years. I mean, you have your teams that have never really contended, and Rice has been there for for some time. They they know, and then but teams three through ten have all been kind of lumped up. Does does that kind of put a any additional burden on 
2022 season for UTSA, kind of feeling like, man, if we can, you know, go win conference in 21 and go put another strong season in 22, jockeying for the who will rule the new iteration of the AAC. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's two things right now for UTSA as far as carrying the momentum of, of last year's, you know, massive success. Uh, into the future, into that transition to the AAC. Uh, first off is, is keeping the casual fan base on board and engaged. Um, it sounds like they're expecting a huge crowd for the home opener against Houston. Uh, they sent an email at a season ticket holder saying today saying there's going to be a premium on single game tickets, <laughs> which I don't know if that's happened for UTSA in, uh, I don't know, like the past five years or something like that. Uh, season ticket sales across the board is going to be up. Obviously, there's just a lot of buzz and excitement, right? So I think UTSA needs to at least be good enough in 2022 to keep the ball rolling there and, uh, you know, get some good crowds continuing to come into Alma Dome, get that much-needed revenue into the program. But also, the recruiting aspect is kind of the more fascinating one to me. I, I think right now, if you look at how UTSA is recruiting compared to SMU, Memphis, Tulane, USF, those kind of schools, UTSA right now is, is pretty well in the mix. Um, I think they would have been third in this like new look AEC and the 24-7 composite for their previous class. And they look to be the same, if not better, for the 23 class if things continue to pan out the way that they are. Uh, so obviously, you know, continuing success on the field is going to, you know, hopefully have that kind of carry on effect in recruiting. Because uh, I think right now UTSA has some positions that aren't maybe power six quality and depth. Uh, so getting those nice big recruiting classes in there are, are really uh, key to expecting UTSA to be able to compete right out of the gate. Well, that probably happens when you lose 74 super seniors in one <laughs> offseason. Right, right. Yeah, there there is plenty of playing time to be had at a lot of positions, and UTSA did pretty well uh, going through the transfer portal. Obviously, they continue to build through the high school ranks primarily, uh, but they got some pretty, you know, key guys to come in with, you know, power five starting or, or contributing experience to come in. And, you know, I think really that's like the spirit of the portal. If you're a G5 team is like to get those guys that were a starter of the P5 and, and maybe lost that spot or, you know, they had to take a year off for injury and kind of got lost in the mix. Uh, but they can bounce back and be one of the better players in the conference. And I think there's a couple of guys that UTSA targeted in this past class that, that could fit that mold if things pan out the way that UTSA fans hope that they do. Sorry, I'm I'm now picturing like some sort of graphic novel series entitled Spirit of the Portal. Oh, and uh, yeah. oh no. You, it, it's interesting that you said that because we've seen, and I'm still kind of getting adjusted to it because I was going through Rice's roster actually yesterday when we we're kind of looking through and seeing how many players were on the roster last year and still had eligibility and are not on the roster this year, and it's up to forty some odd players. Oh wow. And I mean, that that accounts for walk ons and mm -hmm. guys who were the mm -hmm. third string long snapper that never really played and decided they didn't want to pay for their own scholarship. Like I, that's yep. everybody, like yep. a handful of, you know, um, prominent transfers, but not <laughs> yep. too many. But it's just wild to me because I kind of look through the rosters across Conference USA slash AAC, whatever, and it. It's not terribly common to see. I'm going through the list of guys, and like you're bringing in 15 players from the transfer portal in addition to your high schoolers. Y'all are bringing in 10. You, see, you know, Western Kentucky's probably bringing in 25 transfers. Right. No, like, and that's not hyperbole. Texas State's got a whole just, new roster. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's the Jake Stavidol <laughs> recruiting methodology there. They're all juniors. 
If everyone's a junior, is anybody an underclassman? Uh, as far as the Something transfers like for UTSA goes? Well, no, I was just thinking about Spavital and oh, Texas for State. Spav, <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they say that they're targeting, like, you know, four-year bounce-back P5 guys, but if someone transfers that fast, that's kind of a red flag to me. So we'll see how it pans out. But anyhow, on that front, I wanted to ask you, particularly if I'm highlighting guys that I'm interested that have never played a snap in Conference USA that I really want to see play in Conference USA, it kind of dovetails with what I see as kind of one of the biggest question marks I had on this offense for UTSA coming back in 2022, uh, the loss of Sincere McCormick. Now, I, I know that the UTSA offense wasn't the fighting Sincere McCormick's, but he was really, really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, the addition, uh, two guys, uh, Ty Edwards was one, but Traylon Smith from Arkansas, we saw him run against Rice last year. Uh, what's your kind of view on, I guess, that room and what the offense looks like, you know, sans, sans sincere. Do you bring in these guys and hand them each 150 carries a piece and let them split it? Is there a, a new bell cow in town? How's it going to shake out? I have to be careful how I answer this question. Um, <laughs> sincere McCormick okay. was a really unique running back. He, he, he was really like a workhorse back and that he got better as games went along. Right. When the defense got tired, he had no drop-off. Uh, Memphis game, great example of that. He had a really awful game until the fourth quarter, and then that Memphis defense was gashed. Sorry, was gassed, and Sincere started finally breaking off some bigger runs. Now, if you go back and you look at the film, and you look at his decision-making, his ability or inability to break tackles, escape tackles, uh, he, he was a lot better as a junior, or sorry, as a sophomore than he was as a, as a junior. A lot of that is his workload over UTSA was extremely extensive right so there's just a lot of mileage on those legs Um, and I think that's probably a big contributing factor why he didn't get drafted and got picked up as a free agent so I'm I'm not going to say that UTSA is going to be better at running back without Sincere that's a huge huge assumption and and, you know that's so difficult to say because Sincere was such an amazing player but I think overall talent level in the running back room is, is in a pretty good spot right now. Uh, getting Traylon Smith to transfer in was, was massive. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, you know, not the top running back in the SEC, but he was as good as any, you know, non-first-round you know, draft pick running back. You know, he, he can really get a lot of stuff done on the field. And they're back Brandon Brady, who in his own right was a great running back at UTSA that just kind of got overshadowed by Sensor McCormick being so good. Uh, so if, if Brady is able to stay healthy and Smith, you know, does half of what is expected of him, and then you've got, you know, All-American Juco running back Ty Edwards as your kind of your number three option, it's pretty enticing. And that's not even getting into all the kind of mid-high three-star talent at the underclassman level that UTSA still has in that position. Uh, so injury concerns with those younger guys. But I, I'm really not worried about the running back room. I think if UTSA's rushing production drops off a lot, it's going to be primarily from the loss of Spencer Buford, the uh, kind of all-conference left tackle that UTSA had, more so than Sincere McCormick. I, I, I'm very much at the mindset that uh, running backs are, are kind of replacement level for the most part in college football. Uh, there's a pretty good amount of data to back that up. Mm-hmm. We've reached running backs don't matter in CUSA. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, think about it. Outside of Middle Tennessee, you can't really point at a program in conference you say that just been awful at running back like the past couple years. You know, there there have been teams that haven't had a star running back. 
but there aren't many teams that are just like they're so bad at running back they can't run the ball. I mean, if you if you scheme correctly and you've got the blockers, you're going to be okay for the most part. That's my take. So the only other team that comes to mind is Louisiana Tech, but I, yeah. I think that might be a situation where they did not scheme correctly. Yeah, yeah. They have a new head coach because of that. <laughs> right, and, and they still had, you know, to look back, not just last year, but, got, you know, guys like Boston Scott, like not big-time recruits, but they were getting five-plus yards per carry. You know what I mean? Yeah, they've had some dudes. Yeah. Everybody's had some dudes mm-hmm. going down those. Maybe at Western Kentucky. Think about great Western Kentucky. Dude, they're back. they're a running back transfer to Oregon. Who's this? I'm pretty sure Western Kentucky starting running back last year transferred to Oregon, and I, I was just shocked by that. Maybe it was a different Power Five program, but he definitely. I'll have made to go look. I'm trying to remember who West Mobley was. That Western? Uh, yeah, Kentucky? I think so. I think so. There you go. I pulled one at that. <laughs> Finding the starting running back for a uh, pass-happy offense, that feels like a good, uh, good lottery question. All right, there you go. Uh, not running back, but I, I do want to ask you a little bit because the other guy that I'm most – other position I'm most interested in is quarterback because I think – I don't think – well, let me put it this way. Frank Harris was never really viewed as an elite option at quarterback in Conference USA, and a good portion of that was injuries. He felt like it took him three years until he really got on the field uh, consistently. And when I went through for my season preview and I started putting together my all-conference teams for quarterback, I, I went through the list, and I'm, I'm like, I think by default, Frank Harris is might be the first-team all-conference quarterback, yeah. uh, which is – I think it says something about the state of quarterback play in Conference USA, which has been there for a while. But I also think that Frank Harris has kind of surprised some folks, myself included. Not many people come back from, you know, two and a half, three years, multiple injuries off the field to to be good. Is is this a situation where where Frank Harris is being propped up because there's nobody else? Or has Frank Harris really taken that jump and do you kind of expect him to be an all-conference caliber guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he was amazing last year. I think, you know, he's able to make plays with his feet, but really the evolution in his game that we saw, you know, difference in 2020 to 2021 season was his ability to place balls where his really good receivers had a chance to, to go up and get those 50-50. Um, I, I think they like to call them 75-25 balls, uh, UTSA. <laughs> uh, but I think Frank's decision-making, his ball placement is really, really good. Um, his arm is, uh, I don't know, deceptively strong, I guess. Like, it, it doesn't come out of his hand like a laser, like you see uh, from some NFL draft prospect type of, like, six foot five quarterback, pocket passer kind of guys. But he can get the ball downfield, right? And, you know, that's, I think that's really all you need at, at the G5 level is just a guy that can get it 40 yards through the air and just put it on the right sh- or the left-right shoulder wherever you need to place it. It's pretty much what Frank's been able to do. He's been able to avoid turnovers for the most part. So, yeah, I definitely expect a really high-level play from him this year, and he's certainly benefited by uh, UTSA's impressive wide receiver unit, uh, calling himself a bomb squad. But, yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty surprised if, if Frank Harris stays healthy and does not get at least second-team all-conference quarterback. I, I would say UTSA season probably went terribly wrong, if that's the case. Yeah, it doesn't hurt when Zakari Franklin and Joshua Cephas are to you guys it was yeah. it was hard not to think about both of them for all conference picks right and there's some i was looking through there's some deep 
there's a lot of quality at the wide receiver position in Conference USA this year. Uh, yeah, Which, I've been telling people, I, I think the third and fourth string receivers for UTSA this year would start any other season in UTSA football easily. It's insane the depth of that position right now. Yeah, that's wild. It's is everybody's getting better just in time to to move up in competition level. At mm-hmm. least that's the theory. Mm-hmm. Then the uh, the last group on offense, you talked talked a, bit, a little bit about it with Spencer Spencer Burford Buford Burford. I think it's Buford. Buford. He's got the R in there in his last name. Yeah. Confuse me. Sorry, I don't have sorry, the, sorry the R. I think I don't know. <laughs> the media guide in front of me. I'll get it. A couple weeks. <laughs> Anyhow. Burford. Burford. <laughs> Burford's fun to say. <laughs> I like that. We'll go see. I know, we'll pull it up. We'll do some research. But anyhow, he's gone. Obviously, he was a big part. But uh, what does the offensive line kind of look like without him? Is And, and I guess this kind of extends to uh, kind of the offense as a whole by proxy. Do you think UTSA is getting to a place where you mentioned a couple of transfers coming in and then the, the talent that they have where they almost are getting to a spot where they can start reloading instead of rebuilding. I know they are bringing some back, some guys, other guys back on the offensive line, but do you really see any reason uh, on, at least on this side of the ball that they would miss a beat whatsoever? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think Buford is really a generational talent for UTSA. <laughs> When you look at the offensive line, uh, he's the first four-star, legitimate four-star to sign with UTSA from the high school ranks. Uh, actually, the first San Antonio lineman to be drafted into the NFL draft since like 2006 or something like that, which is mind-blowing. Uh, that sounds any, insane. Yeah, I know. I had to like triple check to make sure we didn't miss anybody. But yeah, it's crazy. Buford is really, really, really good. Four-year starter off the tackle. Just doesn't come around often. Now, what's really interesting, and, and, you know, you brought up the kind of reload aspect is, I mean, the, really the expectation, if you go back and you look at like the UTSA message boards and Twitter and all that uh, from the end of last season was the expectation was you go out and you get, you know, a really good, you know, power five starter offensive tackle, even if it's just a graduate transfer for one year to kind of bridge the gap from Buford to kind of some of those underclassmen who are still developing their bodies and all of that. Uh, UTSA didn't really do that. They, they did get a offensive tackle transfer from Northwestern. Uh, this guy out of the Houston area, Payne Hibbert. Uh, but he was at Northwestern for, I think, three years and didn't see the field at all. So I don't know if expectations are crazy high for him. You know, probably a death piece. But supposedly UTSA just felt really good about the guys they brought back. And I think one of the uh, offensive guards is moving out to left tackle, a guy that was kind of a part-time starter last year. And then uh, there's another reserve from last year that uh, ended up winning most of the snaps in the spring. And it sounded like he looked pretty good. Uh, you know, he looked fine in the spring game. Like, he didn't stand out, which is often a good thing for an offensive lineman if you don't notice him. I mean, he's probably not letting many sacks, many pressures through. Um, but, you know, definitely not the type of athletic specimen or talent that Buford was. So I think the ceiling is, is probably substantially lower um, but with having, you know, four five, six guys with starting experience coming back, you know, maybe the hope is left tackle doesn't have to be as good as it was with Buford and the rest of the line kind of elevates their play, uh, to make up for that kind of drop off potentially at the left tackle position. And then I feel like we started you off kind of easy talking about the offense because, you know, minus those two guys, uh, yeah. Buford, Burford and McCormick. 
I'm struggling to think of somebody of significance that isn't coming back on offense for for UTSA, which is a good problem to have. But the defense is kind of another story because I believe you were saying at this point last year, was it 10 of 11 starters were super seniors? I think 11. I, I all eleven? Yeah, I don't think all eleven super seniors started, but they were all like rotational pieces at worst. I think there were only like two guys that barely played as super seniors, and then of course there were a lot of like just normal seniors as well. Um, a lot of those normal seniors are back. Normal there. seniors. Yeah, uh, you know, good luck trying to keep up with this UTSA eligibility chart. It's gotten crazy out here. No, all of them, especially until the COVID eligibilities are through, we just need to stop classifying players by mm-hmm. class grades and tell me how many years of eligibility they have left. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, don't give me this. Oh, like he's that. a redshirt sophomore that's been in college for four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about there are going to be guys that that is still affecting into, like, the 2025 season. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, Rice's starting right tackle last year was in his seventh year of college football. What? ridiculous anyhow but yeah so tell me about what happens is it a complete sea change on defense are there a couple guys left that they can lean on Uh, you know what does the defense look like this year so it's interesting because when you look at those uh super seniors that have departed the program a really big chunk of them were like edge players outside linebacker defensive end hybrid kind of roles UTSA got hit really hard at that position, which is an extremely critical one because you need to have a really good pass rush. Um, and that position is the one that's typically going to give you that kind of ability to get up a quarterback with just, you know, three or four rushers or whatever. Um, so that's probably the biggest concern on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you lose a guy like Clarence Hicks, uh, should have been defensive player of the year, if you ask me. Uh, broke the school record for sacks in a single season, just, you know, freakishly athletic, uh, was unblockable for, for most of the year. Uh, huge, huge loss right there. Then, you know, started on the other side of the ball is gone. And then probably four reserves with experience all out the door. Right. So that that's a big question mark for UTSA. Um, they have a young guy, Caleb Lewis, stood out during the spring. He looks good. Uh, they have a, one of the top recruits in, in program history, Jamoy Robinson. Uh, didn't play a whole lot last year, but he looks the part. You know, there have been really good reviews for him in the spring. Uh, definitely has the athletic ability to get after the pass rusher. We'll see if the technique is there to follow. Uh, but I think that's the main question mark on defense right now, just that edge position and the ability to generate pressure on the quarterback with, without having to sit in all outlets. And that'll be interesting to watch because that's something as, you know, we've gone through and kind of taken our, our trip. I guess we're what, halfway through, maybe a little bit further around our, our off-season kind of interview series with Conference USA schools, we've come across that there's a lot of good defensive lines in Conference USA, mm. like a, a lot, like wide receiver and like edge might be as, as deep as they've been in this conference in some time. Uh, so it's going to be particularly interesting for UTSA because uh, you mentioned Hicks. Uh, from what I'm looking at, five of their top seven sack guys from last year are gone. Yeah. And... That's a, uh, to some degree, I feel like you can plug and play a, th- a third down guy, uh, you know, a situational edge rusher guy, but uh, you don't see too many youngsters or new guys coming in and just, just dominating. So that's yeah. if, if I'm having a question mark on defense, uh, that would be one of them. 
Yeah, definitely. And to that point, UTSA did bring in two high three-star edge linebackers. Uh, Caleb Brown from LBJ just won, I think, one or was runner-up state championship. Uh, and then Owen Peewee, who also went deep in the Texas high school playoffs. Both of those guys are really good pass rushers and are going to be really great ball players for UTSA. Uh, but are they going to be able to step in immediately as true freshmen and, you know, bring down Conference USA starting quarterbacks and, and get around these left tackles and stuff like that? It's a lot to ask for sure. But um, I think those guys definitely have the skill set. So I'm, I'm not super worried long term, like moving into the AAC. I think those those players are going to be able to fit that mold pretty well. But this year, um, yeah, definitely plenty of reason to be concerned for UTSA right there. So if I asked you kind of the same question I asked you just a minute ago on offense versus defense now, uh, on the on the reload rebuild spectrum, where is the defense at? They're probably behind the offense just by nature that they lost so much more. Uh, I, I don't think there was that transfer that came in uh, that I think could you know be a ten sack a year kind of guy. Uh, definitely would have been nice to have for UTSA. But what's interesting is they pretty much revamped the entire secondary as well. And, and not so much that a lot of the starters had, had transferred out or had graduated out or anything like that. I mean, these are just guys that on paper are going to be a lot better than what UTSA is going to return at safety and cornerback. Uh, they brought in a four star cornerback, six or four guy, Zay Frazier, actually flipped him from Kentucky after signing day, which is so rare and pretty crazy. Uh, they got a guy named Pig Cage. Yep, Pig Cage. Uh, transfer from LSU, who was at Nichols before that. He was a uh, freshman All-American at Nichols, and then he was supposed to be on scholarship at LSU, but then he had the, they had the coaching change there. Uh, so he transferred to a place that was willing to give him a scholarship, and I think he started for them in the bowl game and played really well. So he had a lot of offers in the transfer portal. Um, and then there is a transfer from TCU as well, and then another cornerback transfer, Nick Troy Fortune, who's a guy who started, I think, like 20 games in West Virginia. So I think, like, if you're a UTSA fan, the optimist outlook is like, look, the pass rush is probably going to take a step back, but the secondary should be considerably improved, so maybe the pass rush isn't quite as necessary as it should be. Maybe you get that extra second and a half of coverage in the back end. And also, Bailey Zappi's not in the conference anymore, so maybe that helps out <laughs> by that nature alone. <laughs> So that that's the part I'm most interested in seeing is like what what is that situation on the back end of the defense look like? How do those guys gel together? Because that was really UTSA's biggest weakness as an entire team last year is just the busted coverages, the wide open receivers, you know, just running down the middle of the field uncovered for easy touchdowns. Um, if UTSA can clean that up on the defensive side, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape for the season. And on paper, talent's there, but having that kind of like line shift. Uh, and the starting rotation and the secondary is, is always room for concern because there's so much chemistry there. And that's probably something people don't realize is like how much like verbal and nonverbal communication there is between safeties and cornerbacks when they're like exchanging coverage responsibilities in, in real time. So I, I'm really fascinated to see how that plays out. And, and you mentioned the lack of Bailey, Zay, Bailey Zappi, um, which helps everyone. And, and I was looking through, I didn't quite realize when I was putting this stuff together, uh, UTSA finished ninth in passing defense in Conference mm-hmm. USA, uh, which is not great because they have the number three scoring defense and the number two rushing defense and the fifth overall total defense. Those are all great numbers. So how much of the passing defense metric was you had to play Bailey Zappi and then how much of it was, you know, the defense 
but the the secondary had had real flaws in your opinion. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth on it, you know, because there were some games where UTSA's defense made average to mediocre quarterbacks look really good, right? And and that's always cause for concern. Uh, You know, some some of what Zappy did, you just kind of got to tip your hat to and be like, okay, like, They've got five receivers out there. You can't cover all of them forever. And Zappi's going to find that guy every time, get the ball to him. Just a really special talent. But it's it's more of the non-West Kentucky games that are the most frustrating. Um, just those busted coverages were a recurring motif throughout the year. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I As a fan, I was really frustrated watching that last year. And I was worried that the UTSA coaching staff would be the mindset of like, Hey, you know, we won the conference championship with these guys. It's all good. We're going to bring them back. So yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But um, I think that's probably the biggest question mark overall on the team, uh, more so than anything else we've talked about so far. And I think that's interesting because it kind of gets back to this general transfer portal behavior. Cause I, I, UTSA is not alone in this and kind of, you were walking through, some of the guys that they brought in, especially in the secondary. Um, as soon as you said pig cage, I knew he was from Louisiana. Like that just had to be a fact, but, but all those guys, uh, it's, it seems like, you know, I think if Clifford Chapman from A&M, he started a couple games up there. Is, is he, he's there too. He didn't even get to him. Just we'll bring in four or five guys that have done this at the power five level. And we just need two of them to hit like, are we spraying and praying in the transfer portal now? Is that where, where we've gotten? I mean, it's not a bad strategy. No, it's not. But I think if you look at the guys that you just have brought in, they, I don't think they took like huge risk on many of these guys. Uh, some of the younger ones, maybe. But a lot of the guys they brought in, I mean, they have skins on the wall. Like, they were at the P5 level. They were contributing. Skins on the wall. This they is- were starting. <laughs> it, it's not just like, oh, this guy was a three-star in high school. Let's bring him in. Uh, you know, it, I, I think last time I was up here, I, I threw a lot of shots. It's at all at Texas State. Um, but I, you know, I don't think UTSA is like really going into the portal in a position of desperation and just trying to find whatever talent they can get. Like they seem to be getting guys that fit their scheme that have had success at the P5 level and not just like going and grabbing guys on on a prayer. You know what I mean? So I I think they'll have pretty decent success with a lot of these guys, but of course, uh, we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out because you you transfer for a reason, right? That's, that's why I'm always really skeptical of doing a, a portal first recruiting strategy, but I like the balance for UTSA right now. Okay. And that kind of gets me kind of looking big picture. We talked with you last off season when I feel like everybody was drinking the Kool-Aid on yeah. the Roadrunners, and it was like, well, they're, they're, they're going to be great. They're going to go win conference. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't know, but you were probably the most measured is the word I would use measured person that I know about Roadrunners and, and how UTSA was going to fare in the upcoming season and just kind of a wait and seal till they've done it. Okay. So now they've done it. What what's reasonable? I'm I'm doing air quotes right now. What is reasonable expectations uh for this program in, in 2022? And then I guess, you know, big picture, what's a good season now? Because in some ways I feel like when a program has the season that UTSA had in 2021, whether the coach or the staff or the players or anybody like wants it or not, something shifts in how a fan base perceives what a program is and what it should be. So it's a long question, but what's, what's fair expectations in 2022? And then 
bigger picture, what, what kind of program is this becoming? Yeah, so I, you know, the uh, big game boomer guy on Twitter, uh, you, you know, the notorious oh, gosh. character, the, the guy oh, with God. the sheets. Yeah, he had a tweet yeah. the other day that was time, like, time out real quick, oh, yeah, public service announcement. Yeah. Uh, if you see big game boomer on Twitter, mute him. It's all nonsense. Every please, single thing. Please, I don't, I don't care if he put your favorite school or your favorite player on a list. It's all nonsense. He'll forget something on the next one. It's just complete malarkey. Is that right. fair? I don't. I don't want to derail too much and share too much of my big game boomer um, opinions and theories. <laughs> <laughs> this is now a big game boomer shit talk podcast. This is. Uh, I'm, I'm about to go big game boomer anon on you guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He's a big game we'll do, boomer. We'll do. A, we should do an. Ex- we'll do an exclusive Patreon show. Yeah. There you go. Deep yeah. This is going on the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're gonna uh what's the word uh oh, when you expose someone's identity on the internet what, what do they call that oh, we're gonna dox it yeah yeah we're, we're gonna dox big game boomer and oh, i'm kidding um but anyways big game boomer is canceled <laughs> so he I had a not tweet, expect this to get here he yeah, had a tweet the other day where i think he posted like something about utsa and it was like what what do you think the record is gonna be for the roadrunners this year and I mean, I, like, I kind of knew what the fans were going to say, but just seeing it in mass with like hundreds of replies was, I don't know, a, a bit jarring to me. Um, there were a lot of 10 and 2s, 11 and 1s, you know, 13 and 1 kind of predictions thrown out. And gosh, man, I like, I, I'm of the camp that I think this team is going to be better than they were last year. And when I say better, I'm not talking wins and losses, I'm talking like, statistically better like i think they're going to beat bad teams by more they're going to be closer with good teams but i don't think they're going to win as many games because the schedule last year was really really easy right and you just had a lot of games that they barely scraped by they had a a ton of one score games and i think there's some luck in that i I think the great uh, example is if you look at the uab game to win the western division last year uh, you know, Bill Clark decided to punt on fourth and one instead of go for it in midfield. I mean, you know, we can't rewrite history and, and be re- too revisionist. But, you know, if, if UAB goes for it and gets that yard, then, you know, UTSA doesn't even win the division, much less the championship. Right. And there's a lot of moments like that you can trace back to UTSA being fortunate. Uh, you know, a, a really key fumble in the Memphis game is another clear example. Um, so I think the record that UTSA had was a little bit non-indicative of, of how good a team they actually were. And that's not to take anything away from them. They're an amazing team. They're so fun to watch. But it's it's really damn hard to win football games at any level of play. And I, I think the fan base is kind of out of whack with their expectations. Um, so, you know, in my, in my book, I, I think a, a fair expectation is to just get back to the conference championship game, right? Not, not even say to win it back-to-back. It's so hard to repeat. Uh, but especially with Conference USA not having divisions this year, you know, I, I think it's pretty feasible to throw out all out of conference expectations out the window, which God, I know YouTube fans can't do because they're those hyperventilating at the thought of beating Texas this year. But you know, I, I think just getting back, whether it's it's seven wins, eight wins, or whatever, getting back to conference championship game, see what happens there, is, is a totally fair expectation given the returning talent, coaching staff, um, recruiting success, all that good stuff. Now, for me, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of a little bit higher than that. I think there can be around eight wins. I, I think you can have a pretty good talent edge over most of 
the teams on their uh, schedule this year um, in conference, in conference, big caveat there. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're projecting eight wins in conference. How many conference games is UTSA playing? I sorry, no, eight, the answer eight, eight, eight wins. Yeah, eight <laughs> wins overall, right? Um, but I, I think you know, oh, they're going to beat Houston week one. Then they're going to go to Austin, and they're going to beat the Longhorns. Oh yeah, they're going to beat Army too. And like, oh man, that that is just too much for me, right? Not that I think that UTSA is like in a different league than those teams. Maybe Houston. I could see it, but um, it's just it's really hard week in and week out to to come ready to play and not make mental mistakes and all that stuff. And, and I'm I'm a huge believer in this program and where they're headed and stuff like that. But man, I, I think the expectations are way out of whack, and I, I'm frankly concerned about it. Let's see what yeah. backlash there might be if UTSA has an eight win season, right? W- which is so ridiculous to say uh, for a 12 year old program. Yeah, I saw this on, on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I think this was you when Bill Connolly was talking about uh, Nebraska and Scott Frost and having lost so many close games. And at some point, it's it's it might be bad luck, but it also might be you. And yep. then I, I think you would reply that, it, like, and I actually just went and counted, and I think of trailers like, what, 19 wins over two seasons with this program. Ten of them were, like, one-score wins, mm-hmm. which... I like. I think a, a coach like, say, a Scott Frost, for example, or like the example you gave with UAB with uh, with Bill Clark choosing to punt at fourth and one at midfield. I think coaches can more influence whether their those their teams lose those games than whether they win them. Hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. That's sort of a half baked theory, I guess. But like, I, I it seems more likely to me that you are. Any conception that a like coach is making of his program better than average in those situations is, uh, I don't know, small sample size theater. Anyway, yep. um, um, so I, I you kind of got at this, but but this you you I I take it what you're expecting here is some kind of regression to the mean at least in terms of like. You know, if not it just being the schedule being harder, but like, you know. The lucky breaks, right? Right, yeah. yeah the, the things that are outside of UTSA's control. And, and like I said earlier, I do think the team's going to be better from an overall holistic perspective. I think they'll probably be higher in like uh, the SP Plus and FPI and stuff like that than they were last season. But you still, when you're playing teams that are just as good, just as talented as you, you have to get some lucky breaks sometimes. And, and UTSA has gotten so many. Yeah over the past few years, it's, it's, it's tough to imagine that's going to continue coming um, and, and breaking in the roadrunner's favor. Now, I, I will say, you know, Carter, you brought up uh, that tweet and, and kind of the point with, you know, those one-score games. I mean, I, I think if you're a UTSA fan, the optimist point of view is, like, Jeff Trailer plays a super, super deep rotation at pretty much every position other than quarterback. So how many of those one-score games could have been two, three-score games had trailer like played his starters more and not tra- uh, sorry rotated in some guys uh which I, I think is a strategic decision on trailer's part to to keep his guys engaged and prevent them from transferring out so that's something i'm super fascinating to see this year like now that we're into um you know i guess this would be the fourth year of trailer and i don't know COVID has really destroyed my memory but third fourth I think it's fourth. I don't know. Jeez, guys. Uh, anyways. Hey, I'm, I'm trying to think, too, and I'm like... I, I, I only looked back over the last two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't... 
2020 was his first year, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was because yeah, they so had the whole thing of like, I haven't met my team and I'm playing. Right, right, right. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, yeah, it is third. Okay. Yeah. So coming into his third year, you know, how much of those sacrifices, whatever you want to call them, to, to play those third and fourth string guys is going to help their development? help the depth overall is a really good question to ask. And I, I hopefully one will get an answer to this year, but um, yeah, it, it does just really fascinating for me to think about. And to me, like from an analytical perspective, as a writer, as a podcaster, that to me, that's the biggest storyline for this year is like, does, does trailer have like this magic formula uh, to win these close games or is it just a lot of lucky bounces and stuff like that? And, you know, that's to be seen. And, and that's why we play the game. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, and this is probably a bigger G5 football, you know, picture. You can count, all of us can, on on one hand, the G5 programs in recent or extended history that have been at that level where, like, they're going to win or contend for a conference every year. Like you, you can, you can go down the list. You got your, your, your Boise States and, uh, uh, Houston. I guess, well, I guess they're, they G5. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Uh, UCF, Cincinnati. These are the schools that you're like, they're just going to be really good every year. And they're probably going to be in the mix in November to win a championship game. And that's it. Like Northern Illinois has played in an orange bowl. Mm -hmm. Like it's really, I'm not gonna say it's easy for any G5 program to have a Cinderella season, but sometimes confluence of, of factors, everything works out right. It's really, really hard. Like even UAB, what they built under Bill Clark and now not Bill Clark. I don't think anybody is putting UAB in the category of they're an elite G5 program. I think they're really good, but, and if we can't say UAB should probably win 10 games, it seems kind of, I'm nice. kind of, I'm lining up with you, yep. demanding it from a UTSA who was winning four and five under a, like McNeese state head coach. Uh, is that where he's at now? I forget. Uh, he was actually back at LSU. <laughs> oh, that's right. He got yeah. brought in by Brian <laughs> Kelly with. Oh, yeah. But right. his, uh, his Twitter account is locked, which is, oh, is fascinating. Me. Yeah, that's, ooh, uh, that's something. What a disaster. But anyhow, I, I think I'm I'm kind of bringing back to your point that this program has had more bad years than good. Right. So uh, even though things are going good, maybe taking a taking a deep breath. This is this is from all of us UTSA fans. Just take a deep <laughs> breath, close your eyes, do some breathing exercises, and just enjoy the football games. Uh, well, yeah. You know, it, it, go ahead. Like part. I think the yeah the the optimist perspective there I think is that you you know you had that you know you had this feel good season in 2020 and then this huge breakout last year and that was getting some lucky breaks perhaps but like the program is unquestionably i think by anyone's observation in better shape in terms of like talent and momentum and all of these things than it was during that time so like i i think the fans perhaps need to have healthy expectations in terms of what win loss totals look like, like you were saying, because at this level still, even where UTSA is, has elevated itself to like the margins are still thin, right? Like you, it, it's so easy as a G5 program for those, those win totals to drop pretty precipitously without any real change in team quality. 
but the fact that you had those great seasons and now the program is in better shape. Like, even if the win totals don't look like it in this year or next year or whatever, like, that's a really good place to be. Like, no one, no one, this is the thing, this is a total digression, but I think fans often get into these things where someone's like, you know, your team won 12 games last year, but they probably weren't actually as good as a 12-win team. And people get really upset about that. And it's like, no one can take those wins, like, the team won (laughs) those games. Like, isn't it more fun to have won games that you probably shouldn't have won? Like, so I, I think people get unreasonably upset about that, take that as kind of like an accusation or something like that, when it's not like, appreciate that you had a better season than you maybe should have, and then like, adjust going forward. Yeah, and, and you know, talking about those other G5 programs that do have those heightened expectations, you know, your UCF, your Boise's, your Houston's, stuff like that, those programs have like, very visible and defined structural advantages over their competition level. Um you know, you look at a program like U of H, I mean, you know, they, they're in a massive city in Houston. They've got a massive budget. They have a mega donor that funds the program. They've got a brand new football facility. They got actually make that two football facilities that are brand new. Right. So they have a lot of things going for them. You look at UCF, they've got this massive enrollment. You know, they, they've got a ton of student fees coming in the program, you know, great marketing. All, I mean, all that stuff. Right. UTSA starting to get there, right? They built their first real football facility. They they have the Alamo Dome. They're in San Antonio and all that stuff. But it's it's it, it takes time to build consistency. It takes time to build expectations. And an eight win season is not a disappointment, and it's not the end of the road for this magical run that UTSA is on. It's just the continuation of the trajectory. And like you need time to build up those structural advantages that those other G five powerhouses or soon to be p5 uh, bottom feeders have, have built over time oh right? and I, shots fired <laughs> man okay bottom feeder was was unfair because I, <laughs> I do think both of those programs are going to do really really well in, in the big 12 um, we're going to take shots at ucf which i'm totally on board for but we definitely need to do that on a patreon show because i ain't trying to have like <laughs> i try to have a million like, skateboard crazy. park management majors in my mention <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think that's something that UGS fans need to come, to come to terms with, regardless of how the season goes, right, is, is Rome is not built in a day, and a really good G5 program certainly is not. And, and there's actually a, a sick irony to it as well. If UTSA did win 12 games again this year, it could actually set the program back long term because Trailer could leave and then UTSA can miss on the next head coaching hire, right? So that's another aspect of it too that's kind of fascinating to me. Um, you know, like you look at NIU, we, we mentioned them earlier where they had, I think there was their own bowl appearance and then you haven't really heard much from them since then. Uh, I would much rather be in like, I guess, Marshall's position where they haven't had a lot of those breakthrough, you know, 10 plus one seasons. But they are eight plus wins pretty much every year. And, you know, they're just continuing to, to get better. And, you know, they're just an incredibly competitive program. And they don't have the structural advantages that we talked about for some of those other programs that UTSA could bring to the table. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. This is kind of turned into like a meta discussion of, of success in college football, I guess. But I don't know. It's, 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 I didn't think we'd have anybody say I'd rather be Marshall on our podcast today. But we've checked that box. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess if you're going to be a, a, a bus built school, Marshall's probably top of the list. Do they get to the Rust Belt? I guess so. It's, West Virginia. I don't know. it's got the yeah, same yeah, yeah, yeah. demographic challenges as, you know, 
a, a some of those Mac states, I'd say. They were in the Mac forever, so I guess I'll lump them in. All the same. All right, well, that kind of dovetails into a couple things, and we, we won't let you out without the lightning round. You're now a yeah. veteran. I, I'm ready uh, now. At, at this point. <laughs> You're ready. That was all stalling so you could get get all your, uh, your cards in straight. We haven't sent you the questions beforehand. You might remember some of them. There's a couple new ones, maybe. Actually, there's one in here that was inspired by you. Oh, so, man. No pressure. Don't get it wrong. Um, that's all we say. There are no wrong answers, and we do not grade on a curve. So, you ready? Uh, let's do it. All right. Uh, starting off easy, UTSA in 2022. Who leads the team in touchdowns? Touchdowns? Oh, Frank Harris. Easy. Uh, who leads the team in sacks? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. The fact that I don't have an immediate <laughs> is really not good. I'm going to go with Trevor Harmonson. Not even a line player. Nope. That's interesting. <laughs> Agreed. That was going down as that was going down as a shrug emoji in the answer. Yeah. But... <laughs> That's what we're putting it out. Okay. Uh Oscar Cardenas uh nominee. Which player won't be a preseason all conference selection, but should be. Just for the record. You uh, pulled out Oscar Cardenas on this, and uh, he is in my all-conference votes for this year. Mm. So, man, what? can't take Oscar this year. I'll Gotta never, go I'll never forget that podcast, honestly. Um, Somebody which is like, yeah, this Oscar Cardenas guy. I'm like, I know who he is. Yeah. Jared said. <laughs> okay, so this one's a little tough for me because I, I, I like to pick relative to the rest of the talent in the conference. And to be honest with you guys, I, I have not done my full – conference prep yet i haven't read the roost magazine right so that's the first step um don't so pick a wide I, receiver I, yeah yeah so i don't know i think i'm gonna go with Traylon smith I, I doubt that he made any all-conference teams running back's usually a tough one to get selected for but i i can pretty easily see a scenario where he's the leading rusher on the conference championship uh or sorry on the conference champion squad so uh, seems pretty likely he could get the nod for at least second team there if that were to happen. Yeah, I think there's also like some sort of unspoken agreement where you can't put somebody on a conference list if they weren't in the conference last year. Yeah, like, I mean, there I, are exceptions made, but in general, like so, yeah, second string quarterback should either be Grant Gannell or is it is it Doge, the one that transferred in to West Kentucky? I I have Chris Reynolds as my second. Just yeah, because, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. again. He's the only he's the only other guy who's done right. it at a reasonably well level. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. Dogie might be might be three. I'm glad oh. I didn't have to go to three. If he's um, as good as it could be, the memes are going to be annoying. The Dogecoin stuff. I didn't you know? realize he's think... the uh, current leading uh, yards. Or how do I say this in English? Uh, he leads all active FBS players in yards. Yeah. Also, Grant Cannell, who I just mentioned holds the Texas high school record for career passing yards when he was at St. Pius. Yeah. Still not well, happy that he's in Denton. I think, I think his anyhow. last name is Daggy. Daggy? Yeah. Oh, and this weird. is his... This is, yeah, he's on the sixth year playing because he started at Bowling Green in 2017. Yep. Holy smokes, I thought he started at West Virginia. I've learned something. I remember that because Mike Jinx... Uh, recruited him out of Texas. 
And at the time, I was like, oh, man, Jinx is going to kill it at Bowling Green. He's getting all these, like, overlooked, you know, Texas guys to go up there to Bowling Green. Well, that didn't last long. Only reason I remember that. There you go. There's always a Texas connection. Yeah, there is. That's why I love this game. We're, we're going slow. <laughs> we're going to speed it up through, through through the rest of the writing lap. See, this is me stalling. I'm figuring out the game. <laughs> uh, there you go. You figured it out. All right, next one. Rookie of the year. Uh, Just for UTSA, right? Yes. Uh, freshman only or transfers included? This is interpretive, but it can be a, uh, oh, we brought in this stud guy from, uh, who was a rock star at a P5 level, and now he's great here. Like, Traylon Smith, probably not a good rookie of the year pick. I'm looking for a bit more of a okay pleasant surprise. Okay. Uh, a, a guy that shouldn't have pretty high expectations, right? Yeah, not like an yeah. established guy. Okay. Could I pick the top high school recruit in the class? Is that cheating? Is that too much? No, I think that's very reasonable. We have not seen him do anything at the high at the college yeah. level. Okay, I, I think Owen Peewee, um, the Cypress Park edge linebacker, is going to see the field a lot this year. Um, I, I could see him having like a three or four sack freshman season, which would probably be good enough to get him on the all freshman team. If I had imagined, um, I think he's going to play some important snaps down the back half of the schedule. Four sacks could lead UTSA in sacks. It, it could. It could. Absolutely. That's not bad candidate. It's possible. Um, other side, uh, team MVP in 2022. Can I go with Frank Harris again? That seems too easy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Finish in Conference USA for UTSA. Uh, this should be pretty easy. Bottom, middle, or top of the conference? Uh Was that an um or an up? Oh, it said top. Sorry. Oh. I was like, man, there was a lot of pause on that. I thought that would be pretty easy. I was like, it was. I know, I, I, know I didn't shock these guys in a silence. Yeah. All I, all I heard was um, and I was, I was oh, like, is, bad, he, is he insulted by the question or something? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, average, all right. average you're, you're, Twitter fan would, would be. That this yeah. is the average Twitter fan is that's we have this is the, all going the, on like Patreon, UTSA so. Twitter hive mind took over <laughs> your brain for a second there and all right your pick to win Conference USA who's going on your ballot I think I'm gonna go with UTSA repeat ooh fun but 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 they're going to play in Birmingham twice I'll put it that way ooh. Now that I'm, sign me up for that. That right. yeah, spicy. After the Blazers have already lost to Rice again, I like the direction you're headed in. <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, the year is 2025. More specifically, it's September uh, of 2025, going into the 2025 football season. Is Jeff Trailer the head coach at UTSA? I'm gonna say yes, actually. Really? That might be a surprise, but I'm, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Reasonably confident? You sound pretty confident. Is this a, uh, he's our man and he loves us so much, he'll stay no matter what the success, or is this uh, strategically tanking a few seasons in there just to uh, take the luster off of it? It's a mix of that and another factor is I, I think a lot of the logical jumping points for his next job are, are too prideful to hire a coach from UTSA. Uh, the, uh, That's 
really interesting. We've had a lot of with that with the Billy Napier and the uh, LSU exactly. jobber. Exactly. The same yeah. thing. I, I wonder if Texas schools will be. I mean, the it's principle Texas, that would the, apply the, to Southern Miss right? head coaches if Southern Miss were any good. Because let me tell you, if Southern Miss ever puts out like a hot shot young coach that all the P5s are after, even if Ole Miss or Mississippi State has burned it to the ground and has fired their coach, they are not going to hire a guy from Southern Miss. Yeah, you're, you're saying if Will Hall has two 11-1 seasons, he's not going to Ole Miss. Yeah, no, no never. Yeah. That's so interesting. This is a just chalk. This is going on the uh, future podcast, uh, Patreon college football ramblings. Oh, topic. sorry. I think it's an interesting one. <laughs> uh, so one other point on trailer I forgot to mention. I I can't see him leaving the state of Texas. Maybe he could go to Arkansas. Louisiana feels like a stretch, but his, his, his the value that he brings and what he's good at is, is so specific to coaching in the state of Texas. Like I I can't see a school like Maryland. Or Illinois or Cal no. hiring Jeff Taylor, right? His market is really diminished compared to your Billy Nash. That's true. Yeah, the yeah. I think it's be really interesting watching how he and then McGuire at Texas Tech. I'm really interested to see mm-hmm. what their careers look like the next couple of years and how that changes. Because okay. uh, I think you're you're right. The Texas, the Texas A&M, that level, they're going to do their own thing and they're going to throw bags of money at whoever's the head coach there. Yeah, from wherever. Uh, but for literally everybody else, you know, your Houston's, your Tex, your Baylor's, uh, it could be interesting on, especially as we've seen the portal and the nationalization of recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested to see how it happens in San Antonio and Lubbock and, and what that looks like. So we'll see. And aside. But uh, I think you passed. The sex question was tough for me. I think that says a lot about UTSA's roster right now. We just wrote down shrug. Shrug. We'll, we'll you know, edit it back in if, if you come it, up with anybody else. If they have four or five guys that have four or five sacks, they got enough pressure on the quarterback, they're fine. I just don't see like one guy being like that standout, um, unblockable type of dude that you got to double triple team on every third down. Yes, I think that's also like very like new age college football-y that you don't like sacks are the sexy stat, right? (laughs) That's the one that defensive coordinators are yelling about. Everyone wants to see. But like as long as the other quarterback is not Bailey zapping you like it's fine. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you don't have a stud edge rusher. You're going to be okay. There's your pep talk, UTSA fans. You're probably going to be okay. (laughs) All right. 12 wins. That's what I'm hearing. Got it. There we go. (laughs) Frank it up. So funny how that translated just like that. I think we got to leave that in. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us for uh, this week. Thanks for coming on with us, Jared, as always. Uh, thanks for y'all sticking with us uh, through this podcast. And uh, we'll be back with more previews next week. And Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.